The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today as we welcome back to the show our very special guest, Propaganda. Prop hails from Los Angeles, California. He is a poet, political activist, husband, father, academic, MC, and podcast host. He is the co-host of the Red Couch podcast with Dr. Alma Zargoza Petty, who is his wife. And as the name of the show would imply, they sit on a red couch and they basically wake us all up with their unique brand of humor, insight, and as they would call it, hood politics. I love this show. Today, Prop is returning to the show and... It's going to be a little bit of a different show because usually we spend time learning about the activists in their life. If you want to hear about that, which you should, Prop has a very interesting story. Go back and listen to our live episode. I will also post that in the show notes. Today, we're actually going to spend some time looking at 2020. This is part of a two-week series where we're going to hear from Propaganda and then we're going to hear from Eugene Cho and just look at everything that was 2020. How do we process it? Where are we at? There probably aren't going to be a lot of answers, but we're going to have some discussion about it and just kind of think about what this year has meant and what 2020 can mean as we move forward together. I'm excited for you to hear Prop's thoughts. If you have a moment, if you wouldn't mind, please go rate and review The New Activist and also rate and review The Red Couch Podcast after you listen to it. Rating and reviewing podcasts is really a very, very helpful way to get other people to find the show and all of us podcast hosts appreciate it a great deal. Well, with no further ado, here is a conversation with my friend, Propaganda. Propaganda, I love talking to you. The last time we got to be on a podcast together, we were live. You probably don't remember that, but I got to tell you, it was a thrilling moment in my life. I hate when I you was... say that. I totally yeah. remember it, man. No, I know you know time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, I get made fun of a lot about that episode because at the beginning of it, I said into the microphone, I said, the music plays, right? We're in front of an audience. Music plays. I bring you out. It's your music playing. And I said off the cuff, prop, this is all for you. And people are like, did you really do this whole podcast just so you, you could have propaganda come on live? I was like, I may have. I yes. I don't know. That was a subconscious moment, and I just said it. Um, the whole IJM event, the whole event, everything <laughs> it flew everybody, eight hundred people all over the world, just so Eddie could have a podcast with Prop. <laughs> it seemed great. So this is going to be kind of a different version of the interview because usually we do like kind of like get to know you, your story, and we we did a lot of that when we got to be together. When we last talked, you had just released Crooked. That was a brand new thing. Red Couch podcast was brand new. And it's been two years. And so I'm just kind of curious. I mean, it's kind of a leading question, but it's not all 2020. But I'm curious how your two years have been. It's been interesting. Yeah, the um, it was like 2018 and 19 were like my precursors to 2020. <laughs> like it was like, and I thought I was coming out of like a really hard season 
coming into 2020. Like I started, I started January 2020 headlining my first festival and it was in New Zealand. The first time I was ever in New Zealand and I didn't even know I was headlining it. Like, so it was like this year starting off. I was like, okay, this is the biggest check I've ever gotten for one event. Wow. It's a festival. It's on the other side of the world and I'm headlining. I didn't That's know, thrilling. I had no idea. The first night, because it's funny, I got there and it was like the t-shirts were like, oh, uh, you know, the people who are on the shirts, they look like they were just all the American artists. So I was like, oh, okay, that's why they did that, right? So it was like Lauren Daigle, and then it was, I forget the other person, and then it was me on the t-shirt. And I was like, oh, that's cool. They printed it with the Americans. And they're like, no, no, she was Thursday headliner. The other group was Friday and you're Saturday. And I was like, that's exciting, man. What? <laughs> like, I didn't know. So that's how like the year started. But like, so in 2018, my best friend, my DJ passed away, DJ Effecto. My label, I don't, they didn't fold. They just changed directions. I don't know if you've been to like humblebeast.com. It's like, it's not the same, you know? So, yeah. and it's no, there's no, like, I, you know, for y'all who like know me through that, there's no animosity at all. Like Thomas and Braille, who were the CEO and a &R, they both took pastoral positions, you know? So they became pastors. So like you can't run a label and be a pastor, you know? And then, so they wanted to set up a situation that was more like, we wanted like something that fits into, you know, their vision of what they're doing as far as like pastoral work. And like, we want to, we still love artists, but we'd rather disciple artists than just make stars. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I respect that. I need a label though. So like, I found myself with like, no infrastructure, you know what I'm saying? Um, so my wife, like at, totally separate occasion hit like a serious piece of depression and you know she was in counseling four days a week like you know and my daughter became a teenager so it's just like you're an alien you know what i mean yeah, uh, yeah. you know while having a, like a i have a teenager and a and a four-year-old at the time you know what i'm saying so i'm like that's a lot prop yeah so that was 2018 and 19 you know what i'm saying so starting 2020 with headlining a festival i was like this is my year <laughs> right 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 it's all coming back yeah. yeah you know but um i feel like i got all the tools i needed to mentally and psychologically like and emotionally handle what we were about to go through so it was like so yeah in march when my calendar you know which was booked through september cleared out you know what i'm saying yeah, it was yeah. like in any other time that would have i would have dissolved and just been stressed and pissy and snapping like any dad you know what i mean like you you know like dave Chappelle said like you can't can't come between a man and his plate you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah. you take his ability <laughs> to provide it's like you've you've taken his personhood you know what i'm saying so like i would have dissolved you know what i mean except for what I went through in 2019, you know what I'm saying? That it was like almost funny to me, you know? And then it kind of, I was like, oh, hey, look, there's, I have no idea I'm going to make money next month. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? But it reminded me of being 20, 21, hungry, nobody artist. You know what I'm saying? Just like, you need to make $200 today. Like, I remember sitting in an apartment, you know, single, 22 years old, being like, you have to make $200 today. There's no other option. You cannot finish the day without making $200. Do 
So it's like what I have is my hands. What I have is my talent. And it just reminded me of that. You know, and you have all these like side projects. I don't know if, if everybody's like me is a long answer, but I don't know if everybody's like me. But you asked me about two years. So yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what that's it. You're the guest, man. This is all for you, prop. <laughs> Again. Uh, so are like anybody else, like you have all these like little side things that you were thinking, oh, it'd be cool to do this, but like you're so worried about or you're so busy taking care of the main thing they never really get enough oxygen to possibly see if they'll survive. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like, I've had, you know, eight book agents, you know, being like, Hey, would you ever write a book? And I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, I guess when I'm not on the road, you know what I mean? And then it's like, Hey, you're a coffee guy. Like, Hey, would you lean into this? Like, what if you became like the Anthony Bourdain of coffee? You know what I'm saying? Yes. I was like, I'll do it on the side, but now all I have is time. So I'm like, well, let's, Let's see if any of these things can be a thing, you know? And like, I was like, all right, well, what else are you going to do? You know, so you're not on the road. So I started like going, okay, well, let's try this. Let's put real effort into writing a book, really leaning into the coffee stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, and I did it, you know what I mean? And we got a book and the book's turned in. It comes out in May, you know, okay. records, albums done, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. you know, the, We've done coffee poetry. We've done the Porigami Fridays every, you know, weekend. You know what I'm saying? I love them. Yeah, you know, we got the signature series with Onyx. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, I mean, I got a cold brew coming next year, you know? So there's, um, you become a businessman. And out of nowhere, in June, my landlord, you know, we were in this house that we're, we're at for, you know, maybe uh, two, three years. You know, my landlord goes, hey, man, with this COVID thing, I'm probably going to, like, I'm going to have to sell. So I was like, damn. Oh, so he goes, no. would you be interested in buying though? And I was like, huh. wait, what? The next week I get my advance for the book. So I was like, yes, yes, I want to buy that. So now I'm a homeowner. And I never thought 10 years ago when I was like, I'm going to be a full-time artist living in Los Angeles with a family and children. I'm like, you're never going to own a home. Like that's just, that's just it's not yeah, going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you live, I mean, you live in LA. Like this that's is, what a, I'm saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is one of the most expensive places on earth to own a home. Like there's many reasons why this is not possible yet. Here you are. Here we are. And I'm now I'm on my patio furniture, in my backyard. I love like, it, man. Recording a pod, you know, I'm just, I don't, I have no calculus for it. I wish I could yeah. tell you, Oh, well, when you pray and you trust and you tithe, like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. But I think, you know, what's surprising, I think, is people know you and they have your shirts and they have your music and they, I think they would be surprised to know that, I, I think there was just an assumption that all musicians, all artists, right, even like make it broader, like artists that we know have been fine this year because they all just have enough money. And really, this was just a one-year vacation. But like, you were really... This was hard yes. and it prompted innovation. And I want to talk about some of those innovations, but I just like generally kind of as a rule when we're still in the middle of this, what can people know about how to support their, their favorite artists? Like what should they know that they maybe don't know? Because I, I feel like this is an important lesson for us as we hear your story. It's like merch. Yeah, just that's right. Period, dude, like merch and like a lot of artists have switched to Patreon, which it's what's dope about Patreon is like, it's really the reality of what we've all actually been living. Like you are our boss, the listener's the boss. You know, you're the shareholder. As much as we 
artists like to, you know, flaunt and frost and stuff like that. At the end of the day, you are our bosses. You know what I'm saying? And um, the idea of saying, put the purse back in your hands anyway, you know what I'm saying? And let you decide like, hey, I value this. I'll put 20 bucks a month to it. You know what I'm saying? Five bucks a month to it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that like, you know, switching to Patreon, buying merch, streaming's great. You know what I'm saying? It helps for like, streaming is your bargaining chip. So when you go into bigger meetings, your data is your bargaining chip. So if I have the data to say, hey, I have this many listeners, they listen through the whole song, they listen through the whole pod, you know, they're clicking the ad links, you know what I'm saying? Like, so just proof that you're engaged is really the best, the best thing as far as you know, sort of that's concerned. So really, truly, like, buy merch because the margins are immediate and good on that, but also get Siri to play the music because that's supporting the, the data that you need to be able to continue. Yes, the, the merch, like, I can honestly say there was two months in this pandemic that my children were fed and a roof was over their heads because of T-shirts and hoodies. Man, like I fed my family because you guys bought t-shirts. Like I can honestly say that yeah, because yeah, there was no other income for the month. It was the online store. And, you know, for someone like us who, you know, have a wing of justice and, and, and equity, like, like these ain't sweatshop t-shirts. Like they're like, I pay for premium products, you know what I'm saying? That are oh, yeah. made justly. So like they they cost a lot because they cost me a lot. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and it's because the people making it, it's a lot of hands. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm not going to compromise because it's like money's tight. You know what I'm saying? Because then, then I'm part of the problem. So you went to Ethiopia as well. I saw that. We love Ethiopia a lot, like deep roots. Tell me why you went to Ethiopia. Uh, it was free. Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, no, that wouldn't be a bad reason. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> In making this next album and, and book, um, looking for, you know, just how do I really say what I'm trying to say? And Food for the Hungry, like, just stepped in and was like, hey, we got we got peoples in Ethiopia, you know, um, let's go film some stuff. Let's go. Let's go see like a real coffee ceremony. Let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's go how see about what that did. coffee? Oh, my God. There's no. As the purveyor of Porigami. Tell me about that coffee. For people who don't know, can you give, sorry, can you give a little quick explanation of the coffee ceremony? Quick and dirty background. Ethiopia discovered coffee. Yes. It's 1600s. The coffee came from Ethiopia first. You're welcome. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. There's a lot of beef, be or there's a lot of like, yeah, kind of beef between Yemen and Ethiopia uh, because Yemen's argument is they were the first to like brew it. Ethiopia, they said they just chewed it. So I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. there's beef, right? Anyway. But having hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries of perfection has really paid off with them. It's populous. It's ground level. Everyone has it. Great equalizer. You go to a corner store in a village and there's a bag of unroasted coffee beans. And yeah, you know. And like green. Green, yeah, green. green. Yeah. So yeah. you come over to somebody's house. I mean, like the poorest of villages. And, you know, and you make friends. They're like, hey, come in for some coffee. And yeah, so you sit down on the ground and that mom or that aunt just takes a little, you know, cold, hot, cold stone, little grill, tiny, 
tiny thing. She sits on a stump and she roasts the beans right there. It's like 45 minutes. She right there, no timer. No, yeah, there's no, no timer. Like, she no just big knows. machine. Just yes. rotate. It yes. smells like there are seraphim sitting next to you. Mm. Like it just smells <laughs> glorious. And she just roasts it. And then they have a little like piece that looks like a rebar out of a hollowed out tree stump. And she's putting the beans in there. They're hand grinding it like this, you know, which is pounding it, just just brute force pounding. I'm going to say the name wrong, but they put it in this thing, right? And she sits it on the hot coals. And it, like I said, it's like 45 minutes. And they pop popcorn because the sweet and salty, like these people have really figured it out. And, Man, it's, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. And you just, and they pour you, you know, the greatest, you, you know, they'll, they'll have like little like, little sugar cubes if you want it you know what i mean almost yeah. like a like a cafecito in um in like cuba where it's like it's you can you can't have it sweet or you cannot and you sit down and you discuss life and politics and love and it was the closest i've ever felt to like timeless where you're like there's no clock so yeah we sat down and i had the greatest cup of coffee of my life you know in a straight village with this lady that could that i swear to you is like like my cousin andrea's like doppelganger because i have been mistaken for ethiopian my whole life in the yeah so i saw that picture i mean are you ethiopian i, I mean survey says you know, I mean, <laughs> you know i've met a lot a lot of ethiopian people and i've always just assumed you were ethiopian but you don't know for sure so it's every ethiopian i've ever met when i tell you in that country nobody checked my passport I walked oh, through no. the airport like you were home. I was home. They the at restaurants, the, the waiter would turn to me and ask me to translate when the people we was with was asking. And I was like, yo, I'm I'm sorry. You know, and they would get so so jolted, like, what? You know? And um <laughs> then they were telling me my region. They were like, No, you are nah, you're from Northeast. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I was like like, like McKelly and stuff. Yeah, like that's yeah. <laughs> they're like, No, you're from North you you totally are. You're like, have you done? So what the DNA thing said was like my direct descendant or my direct ancestor is from Tobo, right? Which is on the Western side, like right next to Cameroon. But the tribe I'm from immigrated from Ethiopia. So wow. they are like that tribe in Togo is Ethiopian, you know? So yeah. Man. So yeah. I, I don't want to put too much of a connection between it, but I mean, you've got this, like this deep part of what you have launched into in 2020 is sort of this, you've always been like the most loved coffee person. But for those of us that knew you, it was just an underground thing. Like you would make people coffee. Yeah. But now you just, you went out. <laughs> it was like 2020 was a year that was like, now I'm going to teach you how to do this. So you do Porigami, you go to Ethiopia. I'm not trying to draw a thread that's not there, but is there a connection in- I feel like it. Is there one about the depth of like what coffee means? And I like feel like it, man. I mean, it just, it was such the like, the catalyst that tied all of it together in the sense that mm -hmm. like, you find your origins, you know, my wife always teases me because I say that like, all of culture comes from black people. Yeah. It just in some way or another, black people invents all culture. So I'm like, yep, that too. I was like, Sasa, you like Sasa? Yeah, that's black people too. I don't know if you know that. Disprove you know it and yeah. you'll believe it. But go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, oh, word, you guys like folk music? Hey, you know the right. banjos from West Africa. <laughs> you know, like, so I'm like, just everything comes from black people. That's always been my answer to stuff. So like, knowing that like, that tie 
you know, not having being, you know, a slave descendant, like we don't have we don't have homeland. You know what I mean? Like what what is our homeland? What is it? You know what I mean? Right. Being right. able to find it and then find it in this product. And one thing I really love about coffee too is like again, it ties into the justice work because I'm like the greatest me and you, if we're lucky, some donor to an org we might be working with that may have you out to speak or me out to speak may say, hey, we're going to take all of the guests out to some Michelin star rated restaurant. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Three, four, right, five right. star Michelin. I'm never going to go on my own. No. You know what I'm saying? No, that's like, right. Somebody's going to pay for me to do this. But the rest of the world is never going to eat the best culinary experience Earth has to offer. But the best possible cup of coffee the best bean the earth can give you a geisha from the mountains of yemen or ethiopia the best bean <laughs> it's 15 dollars. so i'm like it's the great equalizer the version of you know the the sushi chef in japan where you got a three-year waiting list and there's no menu and he make it that's a three thousand dollar roll of sushi you know what i'm saying the equivalent of that in coffee is $16. So I'm like, it's an equalizer. This is justice. You know what I'm saying? So putting it all together for me was like, I found a center. You know what I mean? And it's just just this symbol of all that is. And then even just the fight against gentrification, the fight against keeping your own, the fight against justice. Like all of it, to me, kind of, it just landed in coffee. It just kind of all came together, you know? And that's a, there's something really beautiful about that. So this week is part of kind of a two-week series we're doing you and then we're going to also spend time with Eugene Cho, who we love, just kind of trying to talk about 2020. And there's more to wrap up than can be wrapped up. And I know that and can be wrapped up in a podcast. But I just kind of wanted to specifically talk about how I've been watching you process on kind of like on social media and through art and just maybe talk through a little bit of that. The first kind of wave, I guess, was when COVID starts to hit. We talked about a little bit what it did to you as an artist. But I'm wondering, like, as you watched it move around the world and then through the U.S. Um, and as of this recording, continue to rage on, I'm curious what, what this has done to us as a country and as human beings. Man, I feel like I finally have a census or like a, a consensus of like what I feel COVID did. As a history buff, like, again, for your listeners, that's actually what my my field of study is actually social science and history, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and illustration. But that's that's the job that got away. But anyway, uh, so as somebody who loves geopolitics and loves history, you know, this isn't our first pandemic. We're actually lucky that it's only one happening. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, where it's like if you go. Yeah. During the Black Plague was also typhus and syphilis. You know what I'm saying? So there was like, there's multiple plagues usually going around. So we're kind of lucky that there's only one happening right now, you know, not to minimize at all because of plague, yeah. plague right? But you can't not couple this because it's all connected. You can't not couple it with our swing towards populist fascism. Mm -hmm. And I don't say this to be to incite anything, I say this as a matter of observational fact in history. This is the direction our nation's going. 
Like, this is just what happened. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, as a person that studies history, this is just what happened. And nations do it all the time. Like, we're not, we're not unique in that sense. Like, matter of fact, we're on borrowed time when it comes to, like, <laughs> falling into, like, a strongman, fashy leader. Like, every, every modern state, every modern nation has done it. So what I'm saying is you can't unravel the two. I thought COVID would be the great equalizer. I thought this would be the thing that would finally unite us as a nation that we would be like, okay, guys, we're being, we're being silly here. Yeah. There are things that are truly life and death when it comes to like, you know, black people being murdered in the street, people being put in cages. Like, of course those are like, you know, full stop, do not pass go. These will always be issues. But these silos we're in, this COVID don't care. COVID don't care who you voted for, you know? So I assumed that I was like, oh, okay, cool. We're going we're gonna to come to our senses, you know? And I was wrong. So to me, I'm like, I think it's yet to be seen really how far down this rabbit hole we've gone. I don't think we'll know until decades from now what, COVID and the environment thereof did. There was an anti-mask movement during this during the flu outbreak in the 18, you know, 1918. There was anti people that was like, nah, I'm not gonna do this. You're infringing on my freedom, you know. So that's not strange, if you will. You know what I'm saying? What's strange to me is that we forgot we did that. You know? Yes, yes. We've been down this road and people died. History's literally repeating itself and we have no idea. And we're acting like it didn't happen already. Yeah. You know, and I, I wonder when our facades, our lies we've told ourselves, like the, the fact that we as a nation, like we just believed our marketing, you know what I mean? Our exceptionalism, like we believed it. Like we thought our Americanness would protect us from an airborne virus. Like, but right. we're Americans the greatest country in the world. Virus can't kill us. We have freedom. It's baffling to me that that didn't come crashing, that you didn't go, oh, we ain't no different. It's one earth. The bar, the borders are imaginary. Like they're not really there. There's no force field. You know what I'm saying? At the 47th parallel, you know what I'm saying? That separates America from, there's no force field. It's, we made it up. So, we believed our own hype as a nation. Like we believed our own, yeah, we believed our own marketing and it, it's killing us. So I have my own, you know, views, whatever, right? But I, I go, if something, to me, it's like, if something that can kill you comes in your body via your nose or your mouth, you should cover your nose and your mouth. It just seems so simple to me. And if you saying, if you're telling me well over a million people in my nation has it, then if I don't want it, I should probably stay away from people. It just, I, I don't, I just, it just seemed logical to me, you know, but it's a testament to our brains to be like, whether you're an anti-masker or you're like, you know, the flamest of liberal Right. right. The idea of just like weaponizing this in either way, whether it's weaponized to shame or weaponized as tyranny, whatever the case may be. Like, I just feel like, yo, what the hell is wrong with y'all? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it just, you know, so 
I grieve the idea that like we just have no honor or respect for expertise as a nation. Like we just don't respect experts. And we got that honestly, because it's just like, like being an anti-vaxxer in general, like, well, you know, pharmaceutical companies are crooked. It's not like, it's not like they not drug dealers, you know what I'm saying? So it's hard to make a defense of, of them, of taking vaccines, of getting shots, of listening to the CDC. Cause yeah, you know, it's a for-profit. I get it. Having said that, I don't know anybody with polio. I don't know nobody with smallpox. Why? Because of vaccines. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why we don't, that's why I don't know nobody that died of polio. My grandmama do. It sucks. It's like for a black man who's a child of a black panther to be like, we should trust the government. <laughs> just hurts coming out of my mouth. Right. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I'm like, but I'm also, I'm not delusional. I mean, it's the hospital full of dead people from something that I could easily protect myself from by just covering my mouth. It just seems so simple, doesn't it? It does to me. The other, of course, huge, I hate to say story of the year, but the thing that will ever mark 2020 was uh, the death of George Floyd and the, a long list. You've talked about this a lot. And so I don't want to ask the the questions of like, how'd you feel? Did you see it come in? Like you've, you've talked about this, right? But I was struck by the fact that I went and looked at your... Twitter, because you have a you have a great Twitter account, one of my favorites, and it's a pretty constant flow of what's in your head. Yeah, and you went quiet after George Floyd. I could tell there were a few things that were like marketing wise that had already been set up to go out. So there was like a listen to this or whatever, right? But you were you were silent. And then the first thing you post was um, a film of a spoken word poem that you wrote titled "Again." Last night, another black man was murdered, lynched again by the police again. This morning, my folks said I should try to unplug from the news cycle again. Last night, I tried to process again, mourn, avoid looking at his, I mean, my terror again. This morning I accepted I can't unplug when it's mine dying again. Last night they said the murder was justified because some sort of past crime. Again. This morning proved that was a lie again. Last night they said wait for the facts, trust the justice system again. This morning no charges were brought to that cop again. Last night we tried peaceful tactics, t-shirts, bent knees, Silent demonstrations again. This morning they dismissed us and mocked us again. Last night, the language of the unheard was spoken at the top of their lungs in the form of burning buildings again. This morning they said we were thugs again. They said follow the law again. We said you first again. Last night, they said violence undermined our cause again. This morning we said, then why do you keep driving tanks into our neighborhoods again? Last week, they protested government tyranny. Last week, they brought assault rifles to the legislature. Last week, you joined the chorus of F the police. Last week, you said mandated face masks was slavery. Last week, you protested government infringement on your rights. Last week, you were mad the government was truly trying to just keep you alive. This morning, the government killed us again. Last week, you were mad the Gov was trying to keep you alive. 
This weekend don't matter that the government took our lives. Last week, this week, one week, this morning you said we were monsters again. This morning you said the police ain't so bad again. This morning I'm dizzy again, nauseous, fearful, frustrated, angry, detached, annoyed, pissy, exhausted, worried, overwhelmed again. Last night a black man got lynched again by the police again. Last night again. This morning again. Here we go. Would you be comfortable taking us inside the creative process of the creation of that? Like, how did that come to be? Yeah, I wrote it for me mm-hmm. um, because I didn't want to participate in the the rage posting. And I wanted to get my head around the feelings, get my head around how I felt. It was also my birthday. You ever say the day he died? Oh, man. So I was like, I was just messed up. You know what I mean? Um, so I wrote it for myself, which is something I rarely do. I usually... Or at least if I write something for myself, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just for me, you know. And yeah, you know, like I said already, like my grandmother was in the Watts riots. Like my, we're from Los Angeles. My father was a Black Panther. You know what I'm saying? I I was in the LA riots. And I'm like, you know, I thought my turn, my flashpoint was Mike Brown. I was like, okay, we've had our moment. You know what I'm saying? And then to just be here again and then being able to say, lay in my bed and go, I can tell you how exactly how this is going to go again. And then, yeah. yeah. And then watching it go that way again and then being like, I'm screaming into the void because I mean, who am I talking? I'm talking to people that already agree with me. So I'm like, what am I, what am I even doing? Like, what is this? What is any of this? You know what I'm saying? So for me, it was like, man, this was, I just need to get this off, man. And then, um, yeah, I originally just sent it to like, speaking of like Patreon, like, you know, I immediately just sent it to my Patreon followers. I was like, yo, this is for y'all, man. Like, this is my heart. And then they were like, yeah, you should put this out. As the protests then begin to happen and as protesting became uh, not just for the most woke among us, right? But like random people's uncles were out there protesting. I mean, it was like everybody, this was just a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, And I guess it could still be happening. I'm curious how you as an artist felt about seeing your lyrics on protest signs that for some reason blew my mind. And I, I I don't know why, but seeing your words on other people's signs blew my mind, but I'm not trying to lead the question. I'm curious what that felt like for you to see that. Yeah. The thing that was even more about it, because it's lyrics on their sign, but it's lyrics from songs three and four years ago. No, right. So right. I was like, uh, on the verge of tears for a little bit just because just so emotional about it but then i think about for lack of better term when ccm kind of just blacklisted me mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't a lecrae thing because like i was never a darling but it was more of a like oh yeah he's not safe we'll never let him in and that was i mean all the way back in 2012 you know what i mean yeah. and just being like all right well i'm gonna have to carve my own lane you know, and find and let it come to me, like people out there, I'm like, there's no way in the world I'm the only people that feel this way. 
especially within my faith. I'm like, there's no way in the world I'm the only one that thinks like this. So, and then I found people like you and IJM and all these different, you know, orgs that I've been able to work with, you know what I'm saying? As far as like within the like kind of faith space, you know, but the guardians of the, you know, the gatekeepers and the, and the, the route you're supposed to go as like an artist, they, I was like, yeah, nah, they, they decided a long time ago, I'm not their guy. Yeah. So I lost out on a lot of things. I never did, you know, I mean, I don't, I say this with no inhibitions, like I never did. And I knew I'd never be on Winter Jam. I'd never do rock and worship. I'd never, you know, in just the whole, the whole gambit, you know, they, I got pulled from Lifeway. Like they didn't, they wouldn't sell my albums, you know, all of it. You know, I wasn't going to do Passion. I'm never going to be on it. So while I'm watching, you know, my friends kind of like leverage that and then having to pivot, you know, I'm kind of becoming the artist that they are now. Whereas like, you know, I was kind of like, I was sidelined and had to like, I wasn't selling a thousand tickets. I was selling 500 tickets. You know what I'm saying? And I was doing it because of what, who I was, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. the, the ground I stood, you can't just, we couldn't just call a church and be like, yo, this church, will, this church's youth group will buy 300 tickets. Now your event sold out. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get that. They wasn't letting, they wasn't letting their kids come to me. It felt like rewards the not the right word, but like, oh, I see. Seemed... that you did the right thing. Yeah, and they've been there. They've been listening. People and have been listening. Been listening, and you yeah, did the that's right thing. You stood your ground. You did what you, and the moment came because you were on the right side of history. You oh, said what you were supposed to say, and you lost. I didn't make as much money as a lot of my friends did. I didn't get the notoriety. I, you know, of my compadres, of my like, you know, constituents and counterparts. Of the top ten, I'm ten. I didn't sell what they sold. I didn't do what they did. But seeing that made me be like, yo, it was worth it, though. That's an affirmation of the blood and sweat that it takes to be an artist with principle. And not to say that others that have had an easier no. road are not as principled, but your principles meant a certain level of, of blacklisting or just being ostracized. And so to have an echo chamber, albeit an unlikely one of people using your words to express their feelings in a moment of deep protest that's an interesting and weird kind of affirming, but it totally makes sense. Yeah, it was really a vindication, you know what I mean? And it's like, and again, I know you you, you acknowledge this, like, hear, the, hear this, this is no shade to my friends. Oh, no, no, no. Everyone was on their own trajectory. Everyone had to see, you know, at their own pace, at their own time. My Lord, when you look at, like I said, you look at like what, what Lecrae went through, like, he was principled. When, when the light bulb turned on for him, it was like, all right, this is where we're going. You know what I'm saying? And he took his lumps, you know, and he's a better man for it. So it's no shade to any, like these, like, again, I can't stress this enough. Like, these are my best friends. But this is what your path has brought. This was my path. I took the L's. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We both have to run in a couple minutes because we both have kids that we get to go love. But I want to, I got one more question. We're going to skip all politics. Listen to a Red Couch podcast. Hood politics. There's plenty. I have about eight questions on here that we're just not going to get to. Maybe another day. Oh my god! But I want to ask this in closing. We're looking at 2021. Yeah. And I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. I don't know if I'm excited. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know if I'm lying to myself that 2021 is the new 2020, or if there's reason to be hopeful. I don't have any feeling. I'm curious if how your compass is oriented at this point as you stare down the new year. Yeah. The reality of like yeah predicting. Right. It's just, yeah, there's no, 
right? If we've learned anything, right. stop predicting. Yes, if we <laughs> learned anything, stop predicting. Um, I am not hopeful, if that's the word. I'm bracing. I'm learning from the past, and I'm saying, okay, don't get too wrapped up into, you know, projections and like kind of again like doom scrolling and posting. You know what I'm saying? But we're never going back to brunch. I will say that brunch is we're never going back to brunch. So if we have the greatest turnout, voter turnout in history with the greatest excitement in, well, maybe not excitement, like, because when you look at like, you know, the sort of the left, the left of center spheres, like they're pretty much okay with Joe Biden. It's not like, nobody, like he ain't the coming Messiah, you know what I'm saying? Right, so, right, uh, right, right. but that said, you know, just being excitement about like, you know, uh, a sort of return to like a sort of civility, if you will. But what is civility but quiet racism? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I guess for me, it's like you're not going back to brunch. 2021 is not a return to brunch. You know, there will be it'll have its own problems, you know, its own issues. Some will be a continuation of what we've seen. It's not like those that wish us harm or violence. You know what I'm saying? Some of the like more extreme right groups like, you know, Proud Boys and Boogaloo dudes that like who I have been screaming from my little 2016 corner, like, guys, this is a problem. They're not funny. Like, it's not funny. This is really happening. These people really want a war and believe they're already in it. So that don't disappear. It ain't going away. So I just think my, my ideas for 2021, for, you know? man, is just like, so I'm not looking for doom. I'm not looking for, we're going to come to our senses. And I was wrong. To use my experience from 2020, to keep a level head for myself and just continue to like hammer forward about the things that are like, these are, I'm not compromising over the idea of like, shouldn't, you can't separate children at the border. That's just not happening. You feel me? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just, this is, this is full stop. You know what I mean? You're not going to gaslight me. I refuse to be gaslit for the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying? And I'm also like, from my own little left wing silo, I refuse to be bullied into talking points. You know what I'm saying? That's so I feel like that's what I feel like that's what we do in our progressive circles. It's just like, you know, we ain't got no personality cult, but you can't. There is no nuance. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, nah, dog. I'm not. I'm not gonna live like this where I'm afraid to be like. Maybe I don't agree with that. Maybe the conservatives are kind of right about that. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you're not gonna bully me into not saying that out loud. You feel me? Yeah, I do. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're not going to brunch. You're not going to go to brunch. Yeah. It's almost full circle. You would have had no idea what 20, like the tragedy and everything that happened in 2018, 2019 yeah. prepared you for 2020. And it's almost like, you don't know how it's working, but 2020 seems like it's preparing for 2021. And yeah. who knows what that means and exactly. how that could possibly manifest itself. But we're not going out to brunch. That's the word. All right. Let's go hang out with our kids. I love you, man. Thank you. Love you too, man. One of the things I always appreciate about Propaganda is that he is not going to come to a conversation with just generic speaking points. He is going to speak his truth and he is going to share his story and he's going to share his life, even if there is a cost. Like he shared with us in the conversation today, there is sometimes a cost to being an activist and he has both paid that cost and also leaned into it. Thank you, Prop, for your wisdom and for your 2020 look back and also for scoring today's episode. 
Propaganda's website is prophiphop.com. As we learned today, a great way to support the arts and to say thank you is to buy things like merch and coffee and find out about tour dates, when tour dates happen again, and download music and all of that good stuff. So go to prophiphop.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Speaking of websites, The New Activist is on all the socials. Well, not all of them. We're not on TikTok, but we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of our handles are New Activist Is. Our website is newactivist.is. Today's show was produced by Christina Gore, hosted and directed by me, with additional editing by Chad Michael Snavely. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Propaganda, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.